We're going to be over in Genesis chapter 12 today. I don't know about you, but you know, sometimes my mind just begins to go off and begin to think about things. And if you've ever talked to me about some of the things that I drink, um, you know, especially people always like to bust on me for Diet Coke because I like Diet Coke. And, uh, and so every time that anybody busts on me for it, I have a pat answer that I give out anymore. I said, do you know how much water is in Diet Coke? Because there's a lot of water. In, in fact, there's more water in Diet Coke than, than whatever else it might be in there. There's a whole lot of water in, in there. But I've, I've, I ponder it this way. If you were to take, uh, how many of you folks have a goal to drink so many glasses of water in a day? I do not. I don't care how much water I drink in a day. If I drink some, great. If I don't, I don't really care. I'm just going to drink something. But uh, I was not contemplating this whole thing. And, and you know, sometimes we, we focus on, uh, what is it, some, some diets, you know, eight glasses of water a day and different things of, of that nature. So I'm, I'm just wondering, this is just one of those things my mind just begins to contemplate and begin to think about. If you drink one, uh, one container of Gatorade and three containers of water, have you, in fact, uh, had three containers of water to drink. Because if you take the one container of Gatorade and the three glasses of water, haven't the water mixed with Gatorade? And is it no longer pure water? And, you know, people say, well, of course not. I still drank three glasses of water. Well, then how come how much water is in Diet Coke? Is in, is it, you don't believe me on that. It's mixed together already. I mean, really, if you have to drink pure water, shouldn't you just drink water and just wait for that to flush out of your system before you drink anything else? Yeah. I don't know. That's just one of those things that I begin to, to think about. But you know, we take these things and we mix them together, and somehow in our mind, for some people, in our mind, we begin to think, you know, I must take eight glasses, five glasses, whatever, of pure water, and it can't be anything else, even if I drink iced tea afterwards. I don't... I, iced tea is fine. There's nothing wrong, I don't think, with iced tea. You might see a problem with it, but I, I don't. See, have you polluted the water then with the iced tea? And have you just drink, uh, had four glasses of diluted iced tea? But you see, in the, in the things of the Word of God, we have sometimes diluted what God has given us and what God has spoken to us. We don't realize that its effect has become less because of what we have diluted it with. I don't know the answer to all that stuff with, with, uh, with the water. I have my answer. I live with it. It's working good for me. If it's not working, if, if, you know, if your answer for that isn't working good for you, you can try mine. If yours is working good for you, great. That's all, that's all good. But that's just one of those things that I, I begin to think about. Last week we were looking at Gideon's ephod. We saw that he took some of the gold that he collected from all the folks, and he made this, uh, this ephod out of almost a million dollars worth of gold. That's quite an ephod. And he had this, and it be, became a stumbling block for the, for the folks. They, they stumbled over this. They uh, did things with it they weren't supposed to do. They brought it into their worship of God that it, in ways that it wasn't supposed to be, and they were ignoring the true worship and the things that were supposed to be going on. We said that the word that is written... And the word that is spoken, these are things that we've got to, to keep in our mind. What God has written in his word, what God has spoken to us in his word, these are the words that should guide us. But sometimes a foreign word is trying to get in. Something that is foreign to the word of God, like Gideon's ephod. It seems like it's right. It kind of mimics some of the things of God, but God didn't say have two ephods. 
God didn't say set them up in two different places. They were supposed to be set up in one spot. Ephod, Ark, High Priest. And they mixed, mixed that up. That sometimes a foreign word is trying to get into us and to corrupt us to mix in with all the things of, of, of God. And we're not going to stay with just the pure word of God that we have. We've got to guard that. We've got to make sure that what God said, I stay with. Remember how the enemy did that with Eve. Has God really said? Remember how Saul got messed up with this. Other people became uh, corrupted in some of the things that they were told, some of the things that they believed. Here in Genesis chapter 12, this is not a new story for us. We all know the story of Abraham. But I'm not up to the par yet of Abraham. How about you? I haven't quite come to the level yet that Abraham is at. And I'm going to still learn some more things from him. We're going to go back over and take a look at some of the words that God had spoken to Abraham. In chapter 12 and verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Look at what it says there. We've covered this some time before just to refresh you on this. Now the Lord had said. That's past tense, isn't it? Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. In this particular story, he does not leave from Ur of the Chaldeans. He leaves from Haran. We all think, of course, of Abraham leaving from Ur of the Chaldeans. That's where his hometown was. That's where he was supposed to leave. But that actually happened earlier in chapter 11, verse 27. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haram. Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father, Terah, in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abraham and Nabor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But the Sarai was barren. She had no, ch- no child. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife. And they went out from them, from Ur of the Chaldeans, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So the way that this seems to have gone is that God first off spoke to Abram, Get out of your country. Get away from your father's house. Leave this place and head on over to a land I will show you. And so he began to go on a tour. Now, you have to remember some of the setting. We've talked about this recently in a, in a Wednesday night service. I don't think we went over this on a Sunday. But the setting of this and why it was such a big thing for Abraham to do is back in these days, there was no police. If you had a problem, you couldn't call 911. You couldn't... Um, rely on any local police force to come over and to help you out. If someone wanted to come and rob you, all you had to depend on was your family. That was it. And so family were were put together as clans, and your clan was your protection. The bigger your clan, the more protection you had. Because people were trying to come over, and so your family was your protection. You have swords, and you go out there, and you'd fight, and you'd fight them off. And if people feared your clan, then they probably wouldn't come over and try and steal your stuff. If they saw you as a weaker clan, they might come over and wipe you out. And this is how this was, was going on in these days. 
Thank God we're not in those days anymore. Thank God for police and folks who uh, make sure that bad guys kind of stay at bay. <laughs> It'd be a whole lot different if we didn't have that. So when God says, leave this, he's basically saying, take all your stuff and leave your protection. He's not just saying, leave your father's house and leave your father's gods. He's saying, leave your protection. Leave what you depend on to keep your stuff safe. And go to a land that you don't know. No one knows you. A land that I will tell you. You got to understand, this can be a scary thing to do. And so when he goes, he probably shared this with his father. And his father probably said, you know what? That's a good idea. But I'm with you on this. I want to go with you. And uh, uh, we, we didn't take all the, the family, but we took Lot. His father had died. We took Lot and we uh, went on our way. Well, we stopped as far as Haran. And that's where we stayed for a while because apparently his father got sick. And I imagine that they couldn't go any further than that. And so they were waiting around for him to get well. And apparently he didn't get well. He died. Don't know how long they stayed in that, that place. But they stayed in there a while. It may have been six months. It may have been a year. It may have been five years. I have no idea how long it was that they stayed in this place. But they stayed there for a while. And then after they were, they were there and his father died, he is reminded. It doesn't say that the Lord spoke to him again. It said, for the Lord had said. Sometimes we want God to speak to us again. It doesn't say that God spoke to Abram again until he gets to the land of Canaan. For the Lord had said to Abram, leave and go. And so he's reminded of these things and what to do. And so he picks up and he goes, but he takes a lot with him. We can get on Abram because he, he didn't leave his family. But you have to understand his mindset. That's his protection. He hasn't quite learned the protection of God yet. He came out of an idolatrous country, probably worshipped idols himself. Maybe somewhere along the way he got the idea of who God was and began to, to turn over and to, to worship him. He didn't have the Bible. He didn't have things to, to read, to find out about God. But let's take a look at the content of this, this word that God had said. The first off, he says to leave. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your, your homeland. And I want you to go, not to a place that I've told you about, but to a place that I will reveal to you. I want you just to go. I want you just to head on out, and I'll lead you as to where you're going to go. Now, my wife and I have this discussion all the time. She wants to get in the car and just go. I can't do that. I have to have a destination. Are we going north? Are we going south? Are we going east? Are we going for the beach? Are we going for the mountains? Uh, where are we going? We've got to go somewhere. You know, just to get it. What do you mean just drive? Just <laughs> so we have that difference of, of uh, things there. I kind of you know, give me an idea of where we're going to. Point me in the a, in a, in a right direction and we can kind of go. But this is what God says. Leave and then go. And he says this. I will make you a great nation. Not just a great people. A great nation. And I will bless you, he says. And make your name great. He's going to make the name of Abraham. At that time, it was Abram. I'm going to make your name great. And you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. This is all part of the word that he gave him. And here's the last one he said. He said, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is quite a word. 
You could just ponder on that word for a long time. This is what God had said to him. We don't know that God said it a second time. We just know that God said it to him when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. And he came out and then he left the, um, the place where they had stopped. And they came on down and came into Canaan. Verse 4, So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they parted to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Morah. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So no other word that we have comes to him that's written anyway until he arrives in the land that God showed him. And when he gets in that land, this is what the Lord says, To your descendants I will give this land. How many of you like the other word better? The other word had a lot more to it. But he's saying, To your descendants I will give this land. That means Abraham's not going to get this land. God never promised Abraham this land. He said to your descendants, I'm going to give it to you. Verse 8, Then he, And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. So God gives him a word. I'm going to take you to a land. And he uh, finally obeys it. We don't know how long it took for this to obedience to go. Again, he got this word when he's over in Ur. Probably shared it with his father. His father embraced it. And they all take off and they leave. They get up to Haran. They stay there for some time. Enough time to gather more possessions than even some people. And then they head on down to the, to the south and go on down to, to Canaan where they're supposed to go. Now, there's enough of their, their relatives who stay in, in Haran that when they go and they get a wife, where do they go? They don't go to Ur, the Chaldeans. They go to Haran. That's where they send, uh, send back to, to to find a wife. But anyway, he gets this word. He gets on down. He gets into the land of Canaan. And what's he find? Famine. Famine is in the land. So I would imagine that the famine is going to affect all his livestock going to affect his family. It's going to affect all the people that he brought with him. That there's not enough food to, to get there. Now, put yourself in this position. God has given you a word. This is what I want you to do. And you get there and you find out there's famine in the land. There's not enough stuff to do what I think I'm supposed to do. It's not here. It seems like God has sent me to a place without the preparation. Without what is needed here. Wouldn't it seem that way? So he gets an idea. Well, I guess God sent me here, but apparently I'm here too soon or too late. And you know, the enemy can come in. He can play with your mind. He can say, all that time you waited up in Haran, you should have been down here sooner. You disobeyed God. So now you've got to figure out something else to do. So he does. He figures out something else to do. What's he decide to do? Let's go to Egypt. Abraham's the guy who started this. His descendants are always going to want to go back to Egypt. They constantly wanted to go back to Egypt. When God pulled them out, they wanted to go back. You go into other times. When they were taken over after they had kings and kings and kings. Remember when we were going through the, the series on kings? We get to the end. And when disaster comes on, what did they all want to do? We need to go to Egypt. 
They all wanted to go down to Egypt. Jeremiah gave them a word. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here. And they said, now we're going to go to Egypt and we're going to take you with us. And they did. And that didn't work out so well for them. He even told them that that wouldn't, wouldn't happen. But we have a word from God. God has said this. And when we get there, we have obstacles. You don't have to raise your hand. You can if you want to. But how many of you have followed a word that God has given you, either in this word written or God has spoken to you, and as you are obeying it, obstacles? Yeah, so you're going to relate to Abraham. Abraham. When we come into these obstacles we begin to come up with a solution in our own mind. What should I do? I have reached an obstacle. Now, staying where God said to stay apparently was not an option for Abraham in his mind. So he leaves for Egypt. How'd that work out for him? You remember the story? He goes on down to Egypt and he stops before he gets there and he tells his wife. He's 75. She's in the, around the same... Uh, they're old. But he stops her and he says, look, you're a beautiful woman. We're going to get down there and the Egyptians are going to want you as their wife. They're going to kill me to get you. So, um, you know, help me out here. Tell them that you're my sister because apparently she was his half-sister. And so uh, that's what they do. And not just somebody, but Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, hmm, I want her in my harem. And so they make the preparations and so forth. And Abraham doesn't stop her. He'll stop them. And eventually it becomes known that Abraham and her, that they're married. And so Pharaoh's not very happy. And so then they leave. I imagine under not great terms. But the Bible just tells us that, well, he, he left. And so that's the story that we have down there with him going to Egypt. And then we come to chapter 13 and verse 1. Then Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So what he does, get this picture, when he first comes in, The Bible is very clear. It gives us a specific location as to where he went to. He gets the revelation that there's famine in the land. He leads to go down to Egypt. Doesn't work out so well. He comes back to the exact same place that he left. Wouldn't the the same famine still be there? But no mention of famine is, is made. No mention of the obstacles made. He just comes in there and he begins to inquire of God and begin to worship, worship God. And so then we go on. We're going to jump on down to, to verse 14. We have some interaction, some, some things that he tries to do for the Lord. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see I will give to you and your descendants forever. What had happened here was, apparently there was famine in the land, but when they came on back up, at least the fields, one place they were green, probably the other place they were not. And since there was there was um, problems between Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen. They said, uh, let's separate. And Abraham says, look, you pick whatever place you want to go and I'll go the other way. And so he picks the, the place that looked the most well watered. He heads down there. And as soon as Lot separates from him, God gives him a word. He speaks to him. He says, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are. Northward, southward, eastward, and westward for all the land which you see, I give to you and your descendants forever. Now this time he says to you. 
I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that, that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and width, for I give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the terebinth tree of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar to the Lord there. So God comes and gives him another word. But it's all on the same lines. I'm going to give you this land. He said, you are going to become a, his first word. Remember the first word? I'm going to make of you a great nation. That means he's got to have some kids. And he's thinking about these things. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, this is after all the stuff that went on with Lot. Because Lot had gotten tied up with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he went in there and he took care of the kings who had captured them and so forth. Verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. How many of you, if you got a word like that from God, we're not just talking, you read it in the Bible, you saw it in the Psalms. We're talking that God specifically said to you, put your name in there, Do not be afraid, your name. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. How many of you are pretty happy about that? Abraham was not. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Now, what is the word that God gave him at first? I will make of you a great nation. To your descendants, I will give this land. All these things about descendants, all these things about kids. But what's he thinking about? I don't have any. Right? Because the first things out of his mouth is, what are you going to give me? Since really all I want is kids, and I have none, and the heir of my house is someone, just a Eleazar Damascus. He's the heir. I'm not happy. Then he goes on. He says, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house, one... Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. No, he, but, the, but the, it's not his offspring. It's not his child. Someone's an heir, and someone's going to inherit all this blessing, but they're not my child. I want a blessing. I want a child of my own. I wanted you to bless me with this. This seemed to be in all the things that you had said that you were going to do. But it hasn't happened. Now, God has given us some words. God has given us some promises. God has given us some general promises in His Word. He has spoken some specific promises to us. And it's real easy for us to begin to think, God hasn't done it. Well, this hasn't happened. I don't know that this will ever happen. And we begin to think of what we don't have that God has promised. Well, God said I would have this, but I don't have it. God said I'd be blessed, but I don't see the blessing. God said I would be healed, but I don't see the healing. How come God said it would be this way, but it's not? And for the problem with Abraham is his thinking is on what he does not have. Not on what God said. That describes a lot of us sometimes. I know what God said, but my thinking is on what I don't have. Or what I'm afraid might come upon Come upon me. He's thinking about the heir of all the stuff he's got. The heir is going to be this guy, and he's not my offspring. 
in my house, but he's not my, he's not in my, uh, he's not my offspring. I wanted it to be my son that I passed this on to. I wanted my kids to be the ones who received this blessing. Not someone who's not born in my house. Not someone who's not born a, 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 a child of mine. Not somebody who just comes into the inheritance. That's not what I want. But see, this is what the enemy wants to get you to do. If he can get you to not think about what God said and to think instead about what you don't have, what might come upon you that's not part of what God said. If he can get you to think on those things, then no matter what God comes to you and and speaks and says, Hey, I got some good news for you. Do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Do not be afraid. This is after he came back from slaughtering five kings and all their armies with his couple of hundred servants. You're going to tell him, don't be afraid? He's already shown you not to be. He's not afraid. But you see, he's not afraid in going against that because he has confidence in God helping him there. But this part of the inheritance, this part of the child, this part of the blessing, he's got some fear going on. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's going to come about. And the enemy just likes to feed this and keep telling them it's not going to come about. It's not going to happen. And he's embracing this and he's beginning to think this. See, this is a foreign word that's trying to get into Abraham. And he's letting it get in. He's thinking on these things. He may even have identified the source as not being God, but he's still thinking about it. But whatever he's had done with the source, he's brought it in. Remember, you've got to test the spirits to make sure that they're of God. Don't just embrace anything. Don't just put faith in whatever it is that you hear. Your body is trying to tell you some things. The people around you are trying to tell you some things. Other believers are trying to tell you some things. The enemy is trying to tell you some things. You've got to get to the spot where I don't buy it. I'm not going to despair. I'm not going to get to this place. No, you're not going to get me to fear. This is the word that came in this chapter. This is the word that came to him. Abraham, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Don't be afraid. What is it that causes fear inside of us? We may be able to rise up against an army of five kings and bow to the fear of not having an offspring. What is it that causes us to fear? What is it that causes fear to rise up in us? That's, what's, that's where the enemy is trying to rob you of the blessing of God. You've got to stand up against it. Don't let that fear come upon you. But you see, he's, he's thinking on this. This is constantly in his thoughts. He's thinking about it. You can, you can relate to this. If you have a physical thing that you're, you're believing God for, but you're reminded on this every day. Pain. Discomfort. It's not being healed. Sometimes the, we begin to, enemy comes in and says, this is going to kill you. This is going to take your life. Fear begins to come in. And every day we're reminded of what's going on and what's happening. We begin to think on these things. We're not thinking on the Word of God. What did the Word of God say? What, did the, what was the Word? Now, see, one of the things that stops us is we begin to wonder, 
is God, is what God said strong enough to overcome what I'm against? Remember we went over that? Is it powerful enough? Is there enough power in what God has said? And sometimes we come up and say, I don't know. I don't know. I might just have to live with this. This might just be something I have to have to take on. But what God says does have power. And it will have power in your life. If you give power to it. We're not through the learning from Abraham here. We got some more. So he says, look, you gave me no offspring. You gave me no. It's, it's God's fault. Look, you gave me no offspring. It's your fault. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Is there any doubt on this? God says, no. This is what you put together in your mind, that this guy is going to come in, he's going to be your heir. I'm telling you, he will not be your heir. This is God speaking. He will not be the heir of your house. One who comes from your own body, he will be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. How many are out this week trying to uh, see the meteor shower? Anybody out there? I went out a couple of nights. I didn't see it. Moon was out bright. and I don't know if that drowned it out. There's a bunch of clouds out. and We didn't have great viewing, uh, viewing time. This morning, early in the morning, I was out looking at them. Perfectly clear sky. Moon had gone down already, so that wasn't an issue. And I saw no meteors at all. Nothing. Plenty of stars. But that was it. So he takes him out there and he says, Look towards heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now, if you're thinking, the Lord didn't bring him out of Ur, he just walked out. But he had to leave all his protection to go to a place that he didn't know. And he's walking with all his stuff. Somebody could just come along and say, Abram, we're going to take all that stuff of yours. But the Lord protected him. He said, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But still, there's no child. It still hasn't happened. Verse 1, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This is in chapter 16. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. I don't know if they picked her up when they went down to Egypt. However it was she came, she was there with him. So Sarai said to Abram, Now, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. See, it's still God's fault. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Ten years since he got the word from God. Ten years since he got the word from God. God's been talking to him along this, this line, and still there's no baby. Ten years. 
So he started around 75. He's got to be somewhere around 85 years old right now. And there is still no baby. Ten years going after this promise and nothing has changed. Now before Abram was talking to God, you haven't given me any children. Now Sarai is saying, God hasn't given me any children. God has restrained me from having children. It's God's fault. So she got an idea. You know what? I have a handmaid. I can probably have a baby through her. Let's go ahead and do that. And uh, where do you think that idea came from? Did it come from God? No, it didn't come from God. But she didn't think that at the time. She got this idea that came in. I think this might be God. I think it might be God that, that we go about it this way. Maybe we've been missing God the whole time. Maybe it was supposed to be done this way. And Abram says, you know what? You might be right. Who might argue? All right. And so he, he does, because the word said it's going to come from Abraham's body. Well, this will come from Abraham's body. Let's go ahead and do this. And so they do. And she gets pregnant. So that tells you that the problem's not with Abram. Verse um, 1 of chapter 17. Let's jump on down there. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. This is a lot of years after that, right? We say 10 years, 75 to 85. He's now 99 years old. That's, a, that's 24 years he's been waiting for this, this promise to come about. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of you. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And, I've, and I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So God comes to him and speaks to him again and gives him an elaborated word on, on all this. But we've had all these years. Ishmael's born. His, his uh, hope has probably been relaxed. Now, why in the world have faith for another child? We've got Ishmael. I've, I've got a fail safe. I've got a way for this to work. So God comes and begins to say all these things to him. And he kind of just says, wait here. I'm going to go and prepare some things for you. He goes away and prepares some things for him. Come back over here to, to uh, verse 15. Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, <clears throat> but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. So we're talking about his wife, not the handmaid. Now Abram... Looking this up means exalted father. This becomes Abraham, father of a multitude. Or as we also know it, father of many. Sarai, I looked this up. This one up. I got all kinds of definitions. Some of them just said her name meant my princess. Some would, would, call, would say the name means contentious or quarrelsome. But her name is being changed to Sarah, which is princess. 
So if she had a name that meant contentious or quarrelsome, she's being changed to a name that means princess. And God wants to change their conversation. He wants to change what, they're, what it is that they're saying because it's not working the way that they're going. There's still no baby. Now look at this next section. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. will make him fruitful. will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you, at this set time next year. Now, God finally has put a time on it. He says, in one year, in one year, you're going to have this baby. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So this now, this promise they've been waiting 24 years for is now one year away. And when God said it's coming, he laughed at them. Can you imagine laughing at God? Sure you can. You do it all the time. God gives you a promise. Inside, outside, you're saying, bless God, glory to God. Uh-huh, yeah, I, I can see that. And inside, you're saying, this is never going to happen. Not going to happen. Hasn't happened so far. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I have an Ishmael. This is good enough. Let Ishmael walk before you and be blessed. God, I've got an Ishmael. I've got something, you know, I generated this out of my own flesh. Not a, it's not a promised son. It's a flesh one. But you know what? Bless, what I, bless the work of my flesh. Because my faith just can't generate what I need. And the Lord says, I'm going to bless him. I've heard you. I'm going to bless him. But there's another son coming. He's going to come from your wife. Sarah's going to bear you a son. And it's going to be a year away. How long does it take for the baby? Nine months. So three months later, chapter 18, verse 1, Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre. And as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, how many can relate to that right now? So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on your servant. So, we can really relate to this verse here more so than ever. How many know that sun has been hot? The air has been hot. The humidity has been high. So you imagine sitting in the shade and three people come to see you and you run out into the sun away from the shade and bow before them. That's what he did. He said in verse 4, Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree and I will bring a morsel of bread you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, Do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal. Knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and calf from which he had prepared and set before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Now, picture this. Sometimes we miss this as we read this going through. But God said in the last time, in one year to this day, 
you are going to have a son. Now, they, they know how to do the math in these days, and so they know, you know, it's been about three months. Somewhere around now, she should be getting pregnant. He's beginning to think, I, I wonder if the Lord's going to appear again before that. And he may be even think, it's getting pretty close. He may be sitting at the door of the tent looking out to see, is the Lord coming? He may be fully expecting a visit. And when the three men show up, he's excited. He runs out to meet them. He says, look, stay here. I'm going to make some stuff for you and get some things ready. Heads on out. Verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. That's nine months. And behold, Sarah, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Y'all can relate to this. How many of you have heard a conversation you are not involved in, but would like to be? So she's listening. Now Abram, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And he said, and the Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, surely I, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. <laughs> I don't know if I really believe that was the Lord sitting there before me. I don't think I would try and uh, pass that off. But for three months, Abram's name has become Abraham. Now, he is in the same place. We've talked about this a number of times, but he doesn't change his place. He still has the same neighbors. He still goes to the same market. He still sells his stuff to the same people. He still buys stuff from the same people. And so when they come and they, they meet, Abram, how you doing? No, I'm sorry. My name is Abraham. What do you mean your name is Abraham? Why did you change your name? I didn't change the name. God changed my name. What do you mean God changed your name? Well, he showed up to me in a vision and he said exactly one year from today, I'm going to have a son. You're going to have a son? Yes, I'm going to have a son. He has to go over this conversation. For three months, he has this conversation with people who want to know why he changed his name. It's not just that he's having a confession of, I am the father of many. He has to explain it. He has to tell them the whole thing that, some, that the angels showed up, that what happened, what was said. And I'm sure you, if you were in that day, you'd be very curious. What kind of people were they that showed up? What kind of things happened? What else did they say to you? You really think this is going to go on? And in three months, he went from a place where when they first said it, he laughed to a place where he now believes it. In three months. 24 years, no change. Three months, big change. What was different? He changed his thinking, he changed his conversation, and he changed his expectation. He locked on to what God said, in one year I'm going to have a child, in one year. And then he went out and began to say it to other people. Now you say it to other people, now you're on record. That's tough. Other people now know, you have said, I'm going to have a child. God came and told me, and this is when it's going to be. I mean, everything's on the line now. We are all in. If we were playing poker, that would be the, the phrase we would use. We are all in. We got everything. All the chips are in there. We got nothing, nothing held back. And that really was Abraham's uh, big test there. Will you go all in? 
Will you tell people that your name is Abraham? Or will you still go around saying, when they say, Hi, Abram. Hey, how you doing? But he, he stood up to it. Nope, I'm Abraham. Abraham. Don't know what Sarah did. Because Sarah's still in the spot where she's laughing. But apparently the one that had to be in faith was not so much Sarah. It was Abraham. Because when Abraham got in faith, she got pregnant. She's not in faith yet. She's laughing. <laughs> Am I going to have a child? Come on. Really? So really the one who was restraining her from having kids was not her. It was Abraham because he was not walking in faith. Look at verse 16. Then the men rose from there and looked toward Sodom and Abraham went with them to send them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am, go- what I am doing since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Isn't that what God had promised them before? And what he's saying now, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Is Isaac born yet? As far as we know, she's not even pregnant yet. But he said it's the time of life Nine months, time it takes for a baby to be made. I'll be back. So he reinstates his blessing in just a different way. Not, I'm going to do this. Not, this is what's out there for you. What he's saying is, talking to each other. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, should I hide this from him? Should I keep this from him? So they don't. And they go ahead and they, they tell him all the things, all the plans they have for Sodom and course, Abraham begins to intercede for Sodom. But here's what we need to learn from, from Abraham. Because God has given us a word, and like Abraham, it hasn't quite come about yet. We haven't seen it just yet. And it's really easy for us to either give up on the word or change the word. To settle for Ishmael instead of going for the Isaac. To find the fail-safe instead of going after what God had said. Here's what we need to do. First off, focus on what God has said, not on what you want God to say. Focus on what God has said, not what you want God to say. A lot of times we want God to come out and we want Him to say certain things. We want to say something this way. You know, I, I need to be healed. I want God to come out, send me the evangelist, send me the person with the gift of healing to call the name of their God, wave their hand, Lay hands on me. I fall out in the spirit. And I get up and I'm health, healthy and whole. That's what we want. That's what I want God to, to do. But what has God said? What has God spoken to me? And we go back to his word. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them of their destruction. We've got to go back to what, the, what God has said. What has God said to you? Now, once you get a hold of what God has said to you, don't let a foreign word come in and corrupt it. Don't let foreign thoughts come in and corrupt it. Don't begin to put some of your time thinking about what happens if it doesn't work. You've got to get out of that thinking that Abraham had. It held Abraham back for 24 years. Now, understand this. Abraham could have been blessed as Abram. If that was not possible, God would have changed his name in the beginning. Could have been blessed as Abram. But since that wasn't working, God says we've got to get his conversation changed. We've got to get something going on here. See yourself as though it is already true. 
Abraham had to see himself as though he was already a father of many nations. God would take him out and look, look at the sky. I want you to count the stars. Can you count the stars? I want you to look at each one of those, those stars as one of your offspring. I want you to see that. Begin to picture those stars as your offspring. I want you to see that sea of people and say, those are my offspring. He wants him to visualize this. He wants him to see it. And you've got to do this. You've got to see yourself healed. You've got to see yourself blessed. You've got to see yourself prospering on that job. You've got to see yourself in that place doing what you believe you can do, what God has spoken to you you can do. You've got to see yourself doing it. Well, I can't see it. I, not, God's got to do this first. Well, then you won't see it. You've got to see it. Abraham, at this point, in three months got himself to the point where he can see it. He can see it. God comes to him. He's no longer saying, well, let Ishmael be, be the one who walks before you. Well, Eleazar, he's my heir. He's not talking about those things anymore. We've got to see it. I've got to spend time seeing it. How much time do you spend seeing yourself walking in what God said? Walking in the health that God promised you. Walking in the blessing that God promised you. Walking in the job that God has promised you. How many times, how much time do we see ourselves doing it? Now flip it on the other side. How much time do you see yourself in the condition that you're in? Are you spending time seeing yourself in a different condition? That's what we got to do. I got to hang on to that. This is something that I'm not, it's not in your outline. I gave it to you a long time ago. Um, a few years ago. But we, back, back then we said changing direction it doesn't come easy. It's not easy to change your direction. If we want something different than what we have, we have to do something different. Remember, if you remember this one, we gave you that etc. as the uh, acronym. That what we need to do, if we don't want to keep getting etc., 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 we've got to change some things. First off, change your, expect, your expectation. Change your thinking. Change your conversing. Change these things. If you will change them, and I don't mean change them for part of the day, change them 100% of the day. Get yourself that the things that you are talking about is the blessings of God. The things that you're talking about is the health that God has brought you in. The thing you're talking about is the power of God. This is all that comes out of your mouth. Power of God. Blessing of God. Health. This is all that comes out. You don't talk about the other stuff. I don't need to talk about that. I don't need to talk about Ishmael's. I don't need to talk about Eleazar's of Damascus. What I need to talk about is Isaac. Because here's what Abraham had. Abraham first had what came to him by no effort of his own. Eleazar of Damascus. No effort. That's just something that was there. Then he had Ishmael. That's his flesh concoction. It's what we dreamed up ourselves to uh, walk into the blessings of God. And after he got Ishmael, he was no longer focused on Eleazar. But he needed to be focused on Isaac. And so God, God came in, changed his name, and said in one year, in one year this is going to happen. Now his focus is not on Ishmael anymore. His focus is on Isaac. He even gave him a name. You're going to have a son. You're going to call his name Isaac. It's not going to be Ishmael. I'm putting a name on this. He put a name on the son to come. He put a different name on him. And Abraham's probably going out there and talking about when he's sharing all this. I'm going to have a son in one year. And his name is going to be Isaac. 
name is going to be Isaac. Because God told me to name him that. And he begins to talk about these things. His expectation is what? This is going to happen. His conversation is all about Isaac and when Isaac will come. His thinking is overtaken with all these things. This is what we have to do. Too often, though, our thinking and our conversation is taken up with the pain that we have, with the disappointments that we have, with the problems that we've got, with what stands in front of us, the people who stand in front of us. We've got to get rid of all those things. What is it that you've got to do to get yourself focused on the word that God has given you? You got a word, you identified this word came from God. This is what God has spoke. It's either written in this word or he spoke it to you. And he said, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to lead you. The enemy doesn't like that word. What's the enemy dispatch? When the word comes and the word is sown in our hearts, birds, birds to come and to eat it. They can't eat it. Thorns, screeching sun, heat, trying to dry it up. Trying to choke it out. We've got to get rid of that word. It's going to come after you. Don't let it. Keep on focusing. When you go to sleep at night, think of yourself walking in that thing that God has given you. That God has promised you. When you wake up in the morning, wake up thinking about the promise that God has given you. And that you're going to walk in it. You've got to change some things. But understand, the enemy wants to pull you down. He does not want this word to go on. And whatever it is that's going to feed that word, he's going to try and attack it. He's going to try and get you out of having those things help you out. Water that word. He's going to get rid of friends that help you out with that. He's going to get rid of however it is that you hear the word. He's going to get rid of that worship time that you have in your life. He's going to get rid of your Bible time. He's going to, you're going to find what, it's going to become difficult for you to just even read the Bible. Spend time with him going to be hard and the, the enemy says alright I, if I can't steal that word I have got to stop it from getting some water I've got to stop it from growing and if you can't do that then alright we've got to get other stuff to grow around it I've got to get some thorns I've got to get some thistles I've got to get something in there to choke it out that they'll begin to go after these other things and not the thing that God said I'll put an Ishmael in their life and all their focus will go on the Ishmael. And when God comes with another word, he'll say, no, 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 no. Let Ishmael walk before you and be blessed. Take, use my flesh thing and let it grow. God says, no, no. I've got an Isaac for you. I've got a blessing for you. I've got my word coming true for you. Now focus on it. Make this part of your conversation. Talk to people about this. There's a blessing of God that he wants to send us. There's a word that he has put in us. And the enemy is all about corrupting that word, getting a foreign word to come in, getting us to embrace something outside, getting us to let go of what God has said. Don't do it. What has God promised you? What has God promised for your family? What has God promised for you personally? What has God promised you on the job? God has promised many things. On your job, you can... Say, Father God, you had Daniel soar above all that he was more excellent than all the people that were around him. He was not, I heard somebody talking about Daniel, just thoroughly enjoyed this. They said, Daniel was not excellent in his job and soar above all of the other people that were there 
because every time they came together, Daniel said, let's have a, let's have a prayer session. That's not what he did. What did, he, what did he do? He came up with better ideas than all his other people. His areas flourished more than all the other people's. When Daniel came into the room, he had ideas that helped the kingdom, that helped Babylon grow. And his ideas worked better. Where did he get them from? Because when he was away, he was in prayer. When he was away, he was meditating. When he was away, he was thinking about prospering. And God gave him these things. And God will give you things. God will speak to you. And God will help you. Listen to him. But take the, the nod from Abraham. Get the Eleazars and the Ishmaels out of your thinking. And get the Isaacs in there. God, this is what you promised me. This is the promise of faith. And this is what I hang on to. Justin, up. Father, you have given us all promises. Some of them are written in your word for all of your children. You have spoken some promises specifically to us and told us some things that you're going to do. It's so easy to let these things go. Some of them we have pursued for a long time. Some like Abraham, 24 years, 25 years. Joseph, 17 years. So many times we found and we're waiting. And it's really easy for us to begin to blame you and think it's all on you, that you have withheld this from us. When really the truth is, if we want to produce a faith child, we have to be in faith. We need to get ourselves in that place of faith. So, Father, I thank you that we can do it. By changing the things that come into our thoughts, changing our thinking, changing the things that we expect will happen, our expectation, changing the way that we talk, our conversation. If we can focus on these three things, we can get above Ishmael's and move into Isaac's. Father, I thank you that you give us help in this. Just like Abraham, you kept coming to him and speaking to him, encouraging him in this way. You come and you speak to us and you encourage us in our way. As we read your word, you show us some things to help us. And we can either embrace them with faith or we become cynical and say, boy, I wish that would work for me. God, you've promised this, but it's never come true in my life. But that's not going to get us there. When we see what your word says, we need to get excited. And our expectation needs to be fanned. And we say, Father, this is something that you have promised me. This is something that's for me. Thank you for it. Father, I see myself walking in that. I see that happening all around me. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I think one of the hardest things for us to do is to see ourselves walking in the thing that God has promised us. To change our thinking. Because our thinking is about defeat. Because we've experienced so much defeat. So much delay. Oh, but don't. Embrace it. Get excited about it. And just know, this is what God has for me. We have some praise reports. Okay, this one is from...
That's from Susan. She said she started therapy and driving. Praise God and believing I'll be ready to return to work on the 22nd. That's this week, right? Praise God. Amen. Um, Daryl said, at the beginning of this week, God allowed me the opportunity to minister to one of his children. And conversely, at the end of the week, he placed me in the path of someone who was able to minister to me. This one's from Alicia um, from next door. She said, even though there are some tough circumstances, my friend's mom is still able to send two of her kids to private school. So thank God for that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this is one that um, was a fireman who was killed in a, um, in a fire. And so the, the wife is left behind with, I think, three children. But, so she was concerned about that last week. Okay, God, he made a way. Um, Gladys says, this week God directed me to call my cousin, and each time she needed encouragement at the very time I called. Thank you, God, for his leading and giving me the words to say. Praise the Lord. Thank the Holy Spirit directs us at the right time and the right place. Amen. This is um, from the challenge that you gave last week. Roshan says, my joy level was elevated this week because I kept my thoughts in line with things in God's word. I did not allow a certain um, situation to dictate my day in a negative way. Um, And this one is, excuse me, a thank you from Bruce and Phyllis. She said thank you to all that came out yesterday to our um, to our home for Jeremy's trunk celebration. Sending him off to Gordon College later this week. I know that either you coming out or saying a kind word and wishing him well meant a lot to Phyllis, myself, and especially to Jeremy. Um, I would also like to thank all who helped with the cleanup in record time in the dark. <laughs> it was a night to remember for sure. Thank you. Amen. Just keep Jeremy in your prayers as the, you know, I'm, he's excited to go. I tell you that, <laughs> talking to him. But um, it's going to be a, definitely a change. So that's it. Any other praise reports? Prayer requests? 